Montebello Church sermons. I mean, don't get me wrong. The house was nicely decorated for the occasion. There were plenty of chairs. There was good food. There were a lot of people that I really liked. Lots of joy in the room. But it wasn't those things that made it a little awkward. What made it awkward is, quite frankly, who didn't show up. The people that we all gathered to honor, uh, they were the ones who never actually showed up. It wasn't that there was a mix-up where they simply got their wires crossed and forgot to show up. No, I mean, they knew that we were all there for them. They just never walked through the doors. I mean, not really. You see, when the time came, we got everybody sat down, we all got real quiet, and, and we weren't getting quiet because we would bother our guests of honor. I mean, <laughs> they weren't even there. In fact, at that moment, they were actually across the country. I know that because I could see it for myself on the TV screen that was in front of all of us. She was in her wedding gown, and he was dressed in his uniform. You see, he was training to be a combat medic. And in a handful of days, he was shipping off for South Korea. And this was their only chance of getting married before he left. So even though most of their family and their friends, they lived in Portland, well, he was, set, he was stationed in, in New York. So she flew out, they did the best that they could, and they live-streamed it. I'll be honest, it wasn't as good as being there in person, but it was as close as they could get. So I get it. I know this is a little awkward. It's not as good as seeing each other face-to-face, getting the hugs that we've kind of come to expect. I would actually prefer that, especially during a time like this. But, but distance doesn't stop us from connecting. So as awkward as it is to be physically apart, I want to take just a moment and to look at a passage found in Matthew 8, starting in verse 23. And we're just going to throw the verses up on the screen so you can read along with us. And then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, and so the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping, and the disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us! We're going to drown! And he replied, You little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up, and he rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed, and they asked, what kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Our Heavenly Father, maybe today more than ever, we come to you as as children, and we look to you as our Father. Even when a family is physically apart from each other, we're still a family. Because we have you as our Father. We remain connected to each other by the same Spirit, your Holy Spirit that dwells in each one of us. Father, we pray that you would work through us, you would display your love and your power through us, and may our faith be strengthened as never before. We humbly approach you as your children. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen. 
Three of the words that Matthew uses in this passage are pretty, pretty intense words. Furious, storm, suddenly. Uh, the Greek word that's used here for storm is seismos. It's where we get seismic activity from. That, that word, the earthquake word. The Greek word for furious is mega. So it's a mega earthquake on the sea. And all of a sudden, it hits so incredibly fast. I don't know if you've ever been in an earthquake. I, I haven't ever been in one, at least not a real one. But, but I did go to OMSI a few years ago, and they had a house that you could go in, and it would, it would give us an idea of what it would be like to be in an earthquake. I, and for me, what I found was that the ground was just something I had taken for granted. The ground has just always been there. I just wasn't prepared when it started. And suddenly everything, everything started shaking. The rumbling began, and suddenly the ground itself seemed to become my enemy. It was like a bucking bronco. It was a struggle just to stay standing. The foundation of the whole place seemed to come undone with no warning. Consider where we were a week ago. We were shaking hands with everyone, sending our kids off to school, worshiping in church, hanging out in malls and restaurants, filling out our March Madness brackets, the NBA, hockey, soccer, even NASCAR. I, Michelle and I, in fact, we talked to a nurse who had saved up and had planned all year to take her kids for spring break to Disneyland. America was at record low unemployment numbers. The stock market was at record high market numbers. And we all, all of us, every one of us, had plenty of toilet paper and hand sanitizer. Not a care in the world. And then suddenly, unexpectedly, kind of out of the blue almost overnight, everything just turned upside down. Everything that we had always known it was just gone. These men, these rugged, callous, rough-handed, macho men, some of them who had lived on the sea their whole lives, they understood the power of the sea, and they were pretty convinced that they had it all figured out, how to see the clues of rough waters ahead, how they could kind of tell what the weather was going to be, and they thought they had it figured out how they could navigate safely around it. They had it all kind of dialed in, just like us. With all our technology and science, with all our algorithms and military might, we, well, actually arrogantly thought that we had it all under control. How to get around the storms and stay out of trouble. And suddenly, the illusion of being able to be in control was exposed for the sham that it was. The stock market panics, the government agencies are left scrambling. The bubble burst. The store shelves are cleared out. I actually walked by a Starbucks and it was completely empty. Our schools and churches are all shut down. And it sure seems like we're going to die. At least it felt that way to the disciples. You see, they understood a pretty basic rule of staying afloat. If you take 
everything that is on the outside of the boat and you keep it on the outside of the boat, everything's going to be fine. Stay calm. Don't let the pressure get to you. But Matthew tells us that this storm, this storm was just too great. It, it was overwhelming. Everything on the outside came crashing on in the inside. Despite their best efforts, the boat was getting lower and lower and sinking deeper and deeper, and it was just getting harder and harder to stay above it all. Uh, for me, the first time I really felt that during this whole crisis was when I went to Costco. I mean, the place was filled with people, and yet it was eerily quiet like a funeral was going on. And shelf, shelf after shelf after shelf was just empty. Shopping carts were filled with water bottles and soap, and then it got really bad. I mean, it got very real for me because suddenly I saw the sign, and it said this, we at Costco are no longer giving out any samples. Ugh. Put a fork in me. I am done. Costco's not given samples. It was then that I realized that all of our state-of-the-art missiles and drones couldn't stop this thing. Hospitals couldn't manage it. Our technology couldn't come up with a cure for it in time. Everything that we had depended on for our whole lives, it suddenly was not there for us, like the ground in an earthquake. And suddenly I understood why the disciples, with all their manly manliness, they had come to the conclusion that we are all going to perish. Our worry, our sleepless nights, our anxiousness, our consistent watch of the news all reveal that we are not as much in control as we assumed, and we truly are concerned. The things that we put our trust in, they failed us. And we are much more powerless than we ever assumed. It's that horrible realization that this time we may not survive the storm. And then that's when the storm gets in on the inside. You see, up to this point, Jesus' kindness, his care for those who truly were hurting had exceeded the disciples' expectations. They had seen him give healing to those who couldn't walk or give sight to the blind or heal the leper or the servant of the Roman soldier. He was able to heal with just a word. Each one of those people were outcasts from societies. They were rejected and avoided, and yet Jesus showed so much care for them. But now that they themselves were facing the worst storm of their entire lives, now that they were in crisis, Jesus doesn't seem to be lifting a finger. I mean, he wasn't grabbing a bucket and helping them bail out. He had no paddle in his hand to try to get the boat away from the storm. Nothing. I mean, it shook their confidence in him. Their faith in Jesus is truly shaken. One of the disciples even asks this, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Understand, it's not an accusation. They're not saying, you don't care. It's a question. When everything we've trusted is shaken all up, 
were left with questions, with confusion. After everything that they had seen, the healing, the miracles, the compassion, the love for the hurting, and yet they were still unsure. They were still unsure whether Jesus cared about them. Jesus points out two things in the way that he responds to them. Matthew 8, 26, he replies, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? He pointed out that they had a little faith and that they were so afraid. Understand that risk and faith, they go hand in hand. Let me repeat that again. Risk and faith go hand in hand. At the end of the movie, the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the main character has to pass one final test before he gets the Holy Grail. He stands on the edge of this massive canyon, and in his hand, all he has is a book of instructions that his father had collected over his entire lifetime. And these instructions were telling him to take a leap of faith to step out into thin air. It was a tremendous risk. But tremendous risks demand a tremendous amount of faith. And throughout the movie, we see that the relationship between Indiana Jones and his father is not very good. And yet, he has to place his life into the instructions that his father had given him. So understand this. The smaller the faith, the greater the fear. It's pretty obvious in the movie that Indy has very little faith, and he has plenty of fear. But he stretches out his leg, and he steps out in faith, and he safely lands on a hidden bridge that he hadn't seen before. And then he takes another hesitant step, and then another, and then another, and with every step, his faith gets stronger, and you can see the fear grows smaller. You can see this kind of growth in the life of Abraham and Moses. Their fear is strong at the beginning. So they try to get things done their own way. Abraham tries to protect himself by lying and trying to con the king about his wife. Moses tries to lead his people by actually killing someone and then trying to hide the body. Their fear is great, and their faith is small. But with each step of faith, they discover a bit more of who God is. And the closer they get to God, the more they trust Him, the more their faith in who He is grows. See, that was a problem that the disciples were facing. They really didn't know who Jesus was. In fact, their reaction was when it says that when he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm, the men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him? The only way that these disciples could really discover who Jesus was, was by being in a storm with him. 
there had never been a storm, they would have never seen that he was the one who controlled the wind and the waves. Whether we realize it or not, we are in a storm. An earth-shaking, sudden, unexpected megastorm. Do not underestimate the storm. When greedy people are willing to leave their money aside so that they can escape like the sports industry has done, pay attention. It is deadly serious. But it's here in this global pandemic, in this storm, that we have an unprecedented opportunity to uncover aspects of who Jesus is that we've never encountered before and that we would never have seen if it weren't for this storm. The risk is so high and it demands such a high level of faith. And if you have just a little faith, then the fear, it's going to be great. But the only way to strengthen our faith, the, the only way to weaken that fear, the only way to encounter who Jesus really is, is by being in a storm and turning to him. You've read what he did for a boat full of disciples. You've read what he did for a blind man and a leper. You heard what he did for the woman caught in adultery and the demon-possessed man. But how convinced are you that he cares about you? How convinced is, is your spouse and your kids? How convinced is your neighbor and your coworkers? The cross answers that question for you. He died for you. He died for them. He placed all the punishment that you deserve and he put it on himself so that there's no longer a price for you to pay. He has offered to adopt you and reconnect you with your creator. Maybe you're wondering, I, I wish there was some kind of proof that that was actually true. God already thought of that. And he went to provide for you proof by raising Christ on the third day. The empty tomb is your receipt that proves that the transaction, it was successful. So the question is, will you take the next steps of faith and embrace the gift? Because now, this, now is the time to take those wobbly steps of faith. Those steps may be filled with very little faith and a lot of fear, but with each step, it brings you a little bit closer to discovering who he is. He's not just the one who forgives and heals. He's the one who even the wind and the waves obey. The prophet Daniel, in the seventh chapter, painted a picture of royal thrones. Each one of those thrones represented the many kingdoms of this world. But then, the one Daniel calls the Ancient of Days, he sat on his throne. He was the one who had no beginning. He was the source of all of it. And when he sits down, he sits down in judgment over all the other mighty and arrogant kingdoms. And then Daniel writes this. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was the one like a son of man, 
coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. And he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. And all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And then Daniel concludes the chapter with the destruction of all the other kingdoms, and then he writes this. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High, and his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship him and obey him. So I'm going to ask the worship team to sing a song that reflects this, that reminds us of who he is and, and who we are and how this all ends, especially in this storm that we're going through. And then we want to give one last point of encouragement. So I'm going to have the worship team lead us right now in this song. Montebello Church Sermons.